And when I get going here, I plan to enjoy this part of it. I want to commend Brother Urshan and the general board and powers that be for allowing us to have this prophecy conference. I've always been a lover of Bible study. I believe you can measure the, the statue of a church more on Wednesday night Bible study than you can a Sunday night evangelistic service. Praise the Lord. God put within my heart a love for Bible study many, many years ago when the Lord saved me when I was just a boy. And I love this word. I love what I've heard. I appreciate my brethren, and I wonder what in the world I'm doing up here. Be with these great men, and I mean that sincerely, that, that uh, sit here today and have occupied this podium before me. I want to share with you some thoughts that uh, have blessed my heart. All of you know something I don't know. Could be that I might find something here that someone doesn't know. I'd like you to stand, if you will, please, and let's take a look at the 34th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. The very last chapter, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34. And I want to talk to you about the unknown factors in prophecy. I feel pretty safe there. I remember a fellow that was trying to promote a point and he was pressed for scripture to substantiate his argument. Somebody said chapter and verse for that. And he thought a moment and he said, uh, Oh, you know, said John said many of the things did Jesus do and say. If they were written in the books, the worlds couldn't contain the books that should be written. He said it's in one of those other books. So I feel pretty safe here with unknown factors. Let's take a look, please, at Deuteronomy 34. And I want to read from verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. And his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. God bless you. You may be seated. I think the Lord is trying to show us something here. Someone has well said that coming events often cast their shadows before them. Moses was perhaps the greatest leader that Israel ever had. I want to pay tribute to that great man today. I do not want to stand here and try to detract or subtract from anything that Moses said or did. He was a great man. A great man. He lived 120 years. And he pastored or led the children of Israel for 40 years. And he came to the border of Canaan, as you know. 
it was almost time to possess the land. And the scripture said that Moses went up from the plains of Moab into Mount Nebo, not because he was old and infirm and could not go any further. Scripture clears that for us, that even though he was 120, his eyes were not dim, he didn't need bifocals, nor his natural force abated. He was still robust and strong and healthy at 120. But the scripture says that he died and was buried in the land of Moab. But here is my point. No man knoweth of his sepulcher or burying place or grave until this day. Now why is that in the Bible? Not to detract from Moses' works or words, but to tell us something that I think is relevant to prophecy in the day which we live. Knowing human nature as the Lord surely knows us all, if Moses had died or the Lord had permitted him to die in the camp of Israel, the day of his death would have been a holiday or a sacred day or a special day, a rare occasion. Then the body of Moses would have become an object of worship. And his tomb would have been a sacred spot. Some sort of a monument, to say the least, would have been erected for him. But to give us what I think is a very pertinent thought here, that the Lord took Moses out of the picture, did not allow him to die in the presence of his brethren, did not allow him to uh, be buried in their presence, not even to allow them to know where he was buried, tells me that God was more interested in the word that Moses spake than he was in the flesh or the body of Moses the man. I believe what God is trying to tell us is remember the word, but do not deify the messenger. I read for sake of my own memory, again, the account of the death of Jacob, who in my humble opinion could not match strides with Moses, but Jacob was given an elaborate funeral, and his body transported to Canaan, buried in the cave of Machpelah with Abraham and Isaac. Joseph who died in the land of Egypt, said, take my bones with you when you go. And he too was transported to the land of Canaan. And his remains were deposited in the cave of Machpelah. But Moses was not allowed that. 
because Moses was the lawgiver. He gave us a very important part of the Word of God. And I believe in this mad rush to find out when and who and where and why. And God knows I want to know. I don't want to leave the Word of God. I do not want to glorify a day. I do not want to deify any human being. I want to remember the event. I believe God would have us remember the Word rather than the messenger. I'm aware that the scripture says, Give honor to whom honor is due. Let the elders that labor be accounted worthy of double honor. And I certainly agree with that. But I do not believe that the Bible would have us deify any human being, and I certainly have nobody in mind, or any day, and I have no day in mind. But God knew human nature. At the day of Moses' death, the place of his burial would become objects of worship even in the ninth verse of Jude. The scripture says the devil contended about the body of Moses. He got in the act. And Michael got in the act. They evidently, the devil wanted to present the body of Moses as an object of worship. And Moses would be the first to say, God said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, nor make any graven image, nor any idol, nor bow down to them, nor serve them. Thank God for the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. So, the Lord hid the grave of Moses, but he did not hide the word. Thank God we have the word. Though the date, I don't even know what day of the week Moses died. I don't know the time of day. I don't know when he died. All I know is in generalities of where he died. I certainly don't know where he's buried. But I know that from making a visit to the Holy Land, they'll show you shrines and burying places and tombs and sepulchers until my first trip was with Brother Gregory, Brother Paul Gregory, several years ago. And in his uh, very unique manner, after visiting several places, he said, Dear God, don't show me any more tombs. I don't care who is buried there. I don't want to see it. <laughs> he was tired of visiting graveyards and tombs. And that's not to detract from any prophet or any man of God at any time. But what I'm trying to say is, God help us to stay with the word of the Lord. There are some things, brethren, that God has reserved for himself. There is some knowledge that we do not have, and we will never have. And God has not willed us to have. He has reserved it for himself. One of those things, or one of those days, or one of those bits of information... I shouldn't say bits of information is far more important than a bit, is the day of the Lord's return for his church. I do not know when. 
God has not told us when. The scripture says not even the angels know. But the day is not as important as the event itself. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Remember the word of the Lord. I thought of some other unknown things that you might be interested in. The birth of the Lord Jesus. I was talking to a fellow on the phone home and and uh, it was around Christmas time and I was just making conversation. Just, you know, passing the time of day. It was just after Christmas. And I said, did Santa Claus come see you? Man, he let me have it. He said, I don't believe in Santa Claus. Said Jesus wasn't born the 25th of December. I said, well, hallelujah, I know that. I was just passing, you know, he said, I don't celebrate Christmas. Well, God bless you. But uh, I said, tell me, friend, when was he born? He stood a little bit said, I don't know. Neither do I. But I know he was born. The day, the time of day, the month, the year. Oh, I've read, I know it's somewhere around 4 or 5 B.C., and uh, we could uh, speculate and guess, but let's be real honest. We don't know the day or the month or even the year. But we do know the fact, the word. The Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. It did happen. I'm not so concerned with the time nor the day or the month, or the year, as I am with the fact, thank God, that it did happen. Now, if we knew the exact date, and the Lord could have told us, couldn't he? He could have given us the very day. He tells us that Herod was, was king, that uh, Caesar Augustus was emperor, that Cyrenius was governor of Syria. We know quite a few things uh, relevant to that era. But uh, the Lord could have given us the day and the time of day, the very time of the day he could have given us that. And we'd all stand at attention at that time of day. And we'd do everything to be as holy as we could at that very moment, that very time. In short, we might make an idol or an object of worship out of the day or the time of day or the month or even the year. But God in his infinite wisdom, just as he hid the grave, the bearing place of Moses, so that they would not deify the man but remember the word, God hid, as it were, the time of the birth of the Lord and the time of day and the month of the year and so on so that we would not deify that, but we would remember the word, the event, the fact that it did happen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I am far more uh, concerned with the fact that it happened than I am with when it happened or the time of day and so on. Now, hang on. I'll get to maybe a little prophecy here in a moment.
In the 11th of John, there is a miracle that never ceases to amaze me. I go back and read it, reread it, and uh, always see something new that I never saw before. That's a wonderful thing about God's Word. It is not like yesterday's newspaper that we toss away. It is spirit and life. Jesus said that. The words that I speak are spirit and they are life. In the 11th of John, there's the account of the sickness and death of Lazarus. Now this is so unlike the Lord. He was a man of compassion. He was acquainted with grief, touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Often the scripture said Jesus looked on the multitude and had compassion. I think he was compassion personified, don't you? Mercy personified. Pity personified. But on this occasion, it looks like that he reversed his method of operation. And the scripture says that when he heard of the sickness of Lazarus, he was on the east side of the Jordan. And the Bible is clear. It says that he loved him. He loved Lazarus deeply very special to him but that he did not make any effort to go to Lazarus during his sickness took his time when he finally got to Bethany Lazarus had been dead for four days and was buried and the tomb was sealed and the body had started to decay and the sisters met him with, you know, if you'd just been here. Well, I question whether anyone could die in his presence. I was studying for a funeral one day when suddenly I realized that the Lord, nor his apostles, preached any funerals. The only funerals I know that Jesus attended, he broke them up by restoring the dead to life. Thank God. But he came to the tomb of Lazarus, as you know, and called him from the dead. Lazarus come forth. And he came forth. Thank God I'm glad that's in there. I'm glad it's so positive and definite. And uh, the Bible said that the Lord. Father stated loose him and let him go. And he did. Now I've often wondered. Here brethren is a beautiful spot in God's word. For the Lord to give us some answers. I'd like to have interviewed Lazarus, wouldn't you? I'd like to have talked to him. Where did you go? Who did you see? Who did you talk to? Don't you find it uh, conspicuous by its absence that there is no testimony of Lazarus? I believe the Lord raised him from the dead. I believe that he was dead for four days and his body had started to decay. I believe that literally and actually. I believe that when Lazarus came back to life and he could have said a lot of things. I personally have got a few questions for Lazarus if he was in the hot seat. I'd like to ask him two or three. But the Bible doesn't tell me. Why doesn't it tell me where he went? I remember years ago, a young fellow lectured across America. 
I spent five hours in heaven. Some of you will remember that back in the forties. Five hours in heaven. Moses, or rather, uh, Lazarus could beat that. He spent four days. And I'd like to have read his book. I'd like to have seen his slides. I'd like to have heard him speak. Or that he could have answered some things that, that I don't know. I see through a glass darkly. But I'm telling you, this is like the grave of Moses, that God knew what he was doing when he kept it out of the book. God never intended for Lazarus to become a deity or his tomb to become a shrine. What God wants us to remember is that he is the resurrection and he is the life. Praise God. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he turned to one of the sisters and he said, Do you believe this? Well, I believe it, don't you? I believe it. Thank God. And I believe that the Lord would have us remember the fact, the word, the event, rather than the place, or the date, or the individual that was associated with it. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. Amen. Well... God has allowed us to know some things prophetically. Call your attention to the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel. Here I go. Amen. Daniel 9:24. This has been read, reread, and uh, Expounded upon, and I've enjoyed it all. Seventy weeks, the prophet said, are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. I think that's uh, very clear. I think it's Jewish in its scope. Thy people, thy holy city. But here's what I want you to notice. Here's the part that the Lord has let us know to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now immediately I know something here. I know there's a lot of things that I don't know. But God has allowed us to know something here that I believe is unshakable. That the 70 weeks of years will bring in everlasting righteousness. Will finish the transgression and make an end of sins. The scripture says so. Amen. Now, there are people who say the devil is bound now. And we're living in the millennial. God help us if we are. If the devil is bound now, God help us if they ever turn him loose. One of my brethren said, if he is bound, he is bound with a mighty long chain. Because he's got a lot of running room. Tell me the devil is bound 
when families are murdered in a gruesome manner, churches are vandalized and desecrated. Tell me when all kinds of sin and immorality is not only widespread but getting worse. Maybe it's just in Florida. We used to read about Chicago and New York and Los Angeles and so on, but now it's Panama City, Florida. When we built our new church, we incorporated a burglar alarm system on it. And uh, when I set that thing on, anybody who moves a door or a window, nothing happens there except a little tiny red light comes on on the burglar alarm system. But there is a hotline to the police department where bells go off and so on. And it's a matter of two or three minutes until a big burly policeman is there. You know who they got first? Me. <laughs> they got me first of all. In fact, they made so many dry runs until they said, Preacher, you're like the boy that cried wolf. We come and pick you up all the time. One of these days, some, some uh, criminal is going to break in, and we'll say, oh, that's just the preacher down there. Forgot his key. Forget it. But in the middle of one night, I was awakened out of sleep, and uh, I ran up to the church, phone call, said, uh, police are at your church, and they want to see you. Way in the middle of the night, I drove up there, and and uh, these big police cars with the blue lights whirling and all of that excitement. I jumped out half asleep. And the policeman had a big fellow by the shoulder and uh, turned him around to face me and said, Do you know this man? I said, No, sir. And uh, he said, Are you sure? He said, He belongs to your church. And I looked at him and said, No, sir. Uh, he is mistaken. He doesn't belong to that church said, well, he was trying to get in. I said, at 2 in the morning? He said, he had no key. The doors were locked. The burglar alarm was on. And uh, he was trying to get in and couldn't. Set the alarm off, and we apprehended him. So I walked over to him, and I said, fellow, what were you trying to do? He said, I wanted to get into the church. I said, at 2 in the morning? I said, Yes. He said, besides, what kind of a church would have a burglar alarm on it? I said, friend, it's fellows like you that make us put burglar alarms on our churches. You won't come at the time of worship, but you'll come when the doors are locked and the burglar alarm is turned on to vandalize and desecrate the house of God. I said, take him away. I don't know him. But I'm telling you that the devil is not bound that we do not have an end of sins, nor do we have everlasting righteousness. That much I know. You may fool me about some other things, but you can't fool me about the devil being bound. Not in Florida. Not in Little Rock, Arkansas either. Nor anywhere else. So I'm telling you that there is some things that we do know. I also know, as I read on here in Daniel 9, that uh, verse 25 says, Know therefore and understand. Aren't you glad you can know? Aren't you glad you can understand? 
that the 70 weeks of years begin at a very certain time. I own one little lot in this world, one little 120 by 130 that my house sits on. And that deed says, beginning on a point. It has a beginning place. It wouldn't be fair for me to say, I own 120 by 130 anywhere in Panama City. Reminded of the story of the three Texans that was talking about the size of their ranches. You know how Texans are. One said, I own 1,000 acres out by Amarillo. The other said, that's nothing. I own 2,000 acres down near Waco. The third one hadn't said anything. They said, what size is your spread? Oh, he said, it's very small. Well, how big is it? He said, oh, it's, it's real small. Well, tell us how big it is. Well, he said, I just own 40 acres. They said, man, that is small for Texas. Where is it? He said, downtown Dallas. <laughs> so beginning on a point, the Bible identifies the beginning of these 70 weeks. Now, this I know. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince, it tells me that the 70 weeks began with the going forth of the commandment. Nehemiah chapter 2 tells you. 445 B.C., Nehemiah chapter 2, Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah the commandment to return and to build Jerusalem. That's when the 70 weeks began because the Bible said thousand years of peace. I'm talking about the church age. I'm talking about from Pentecost, the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 until the rapture. And I hope those terminologies are clear. But the 70th week begins when the Antichrist makes or confirms a covenant, a treaty with Israel that is to last for seven years. I do not know the day, but I know the event. Praise the Lord. And I know uh, that he breaks it in the middle of the week. These are some things that I know. Now let me talk to you for a moment about some unknown factors right here that the devil is uh, tormenting us with. If man's day is uh, 7,000 years or 6,000 subtracting the 1,000 years of peace or the millennial and uh, 4,000 years of that six were fulfilled or concluded at uh, the cross that leaves us 2,000 years to account for. Our calendar says 1981. If I subtract 1981 from 2,000, I get 19. If I subtract seven years of Daniel's 70th week, from the 19, I get 12. Let me pose a little more food for thought. If I take that 2,000 years 
that we are to account for here, roughly from the cross until the beginning of the millennial, or the 1,000 years of peace. And I take the present date, 1981, and subtract again, I get 19. If I subtract possibility of 14 years of tribulation or the wrath of God, I get five. But, brethren, here is the unknown. First of all, the birth of Jesus, as I mentioned a while ago, is not clear. I don't mean the fact. The event is not clear. It is. The time, the date is not clear. The calendar is not clear, at least to me. I've read, I've reread, but uh, I really don't know if it's 1981. Maybe you do. I understand the Jewish year differs from, from the Roman year. 360, 364 and a quarter in the Roman year. The longer I figure, the worse it gets. I was figuring on the chalkboard one night just for a thought, and one of my brethren said, I hope he runs out of chalk. Because <laughs> I was getting down pretty close. But I'm seeing here in this mad rush, and I'm as caught up in it as you are. I must have a stack of books that high. I'm talking about little paperbacks on prophecy, the Middle East, the Arab-Israeli conflict, oil, and so on. I must have 12, 15 of them. And I read everything I can get. I'm going to continue to do that. I want to know. I want to know. But I'm going to share this with you. I don't believe that God willed us to know the day of his return. I want to give my brethren of the mid or post-tribulation rapture theory something to think about. I don't believe you can preach the soon coming of the Lord, that is, it can come right now. And the church must go through tribulation. You can't preach both. If the Lord can come right now, as I believe he can, then the church cannot go through what we call the tribulation or the wrath of God. I could not say he can come right now. I would have to say not until certain things happen. says in Revelation 13 that the Lord uh, uh, gave us in that beautiful book of Revelation that the Antichrist will cause all and then it emphasizes that by saying rich and poor bond and free for emphasis no exceptions everybody takes his mark or his number or worships his image Everybody. My, my Bible says all, A-L-L. -L. Now, the 14th chapter, the very next chapter says, if they do take it, they are damned. 
If they don't take it, they are killed. My question, brethren, is who would be alive and remain? The church would all consist of the dead in Christ. Nobody would be alive and remain because every living one has taken the mark and is damned. There would be no one to fulfill 1 Thessalonians 4, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain. Paul said, I show you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. I take that to mean we shall not all die or be killed, but we shall all be changed. And then it mentions uh, corruptible bodies. Most of the church is asleep. I mean in the grave, not in the seat. Most of the church is asleep in the Lord. Most of them have already gone on. I believe that. But I want you to know that there's going to be somebody alive and remain. Mortal bodies are going to put on immortality. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, brother, don't let me go too long. In this obsession with dates and uh, date setters and times and places, let's watch. Again, I want to bring to you a great Bible character by the name of David. The anointed of the Lord, man after God's own heart. I guess if I have a favorite Bible hero, it's David. I dare say they're, they're all great, but I dare say that uh, maybe it's because of his mighty exploits, and I've never done anything. But uh, be that as it may, I, I thrill to the stories of David, man after God's own heart. But did you know that in the closing years of David's life, in fact, two years before he died, he got obsessed with numbers. And he took a census of his kingdom, counted heads. Even Joab said, Why doth my Lord the king delight in this thing? And Joab was no angel. But even he saw the folly of that. But David was obsessed. I want to know how many, how many can I count on? Now, you know, the Bible tells it like it is. It, it shows our high points and our low points, our good points and our weaknesses. It tells that about David. Praise the Lord. He slew the giant, killed the lion, the bear, all of that. But here, brethren, two years... I want you to hear this, and I'm going to close here very quickly. Two years before he died, he issued this executive order. I want you to count heads and tell me how many we have. Now, allow me to speculate here just a little bit. David lived in the time of the tabernacle, that old badger skin tent been used in service for many, many years. And uh, he wanted to build the house of God. you remember? He wanted to build God a house. 
And uh, I say that to his credit. That was a noble desire, part of David. We all are to be obsessed with building God's house. The temple that was to be built on Mount Moriah was not yet. David found himself in the squeeze between the tabernacle, that old rough badger skin tent, and that beautiful building of all buildings, Solomon's magnificent temple that was to stand on Mount Moriah, was just a few short months away. His death and the coronation of Solomon and the beginning of that temple that was to be dedicated not too long afterwards. David felt himself in that squeeze, that pressure cooker, between the tabernacle and the temple. And I declare to you, that's where we are right now in this prophecy conference. At least that's where Brother Crabtree is. I'm here with this old tabernacle. I'm not getting any younger. I was at St. Louis in 1945 when the merger took place, ordained in the old PHAC years before that. I know I don't look that old, but I've been around a while. <laughs> no, seriously, we've all been around a good while. But we, we have this old tabernacle. Here we are. But our temple has not yet come. The Bible said if this earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved. We have another one. Hallelujah. Not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Our temple is not far away. It may be closer than any of us think. Praise the Lord. Why here on the eve of the Lord's return? Why here on the eve of the catching away of the church of the living God? Should we go searching for numbers and dates and date settings and so on? Let's forget the grave of Moses and remember the Word of God. Hallelujah. The Word of God will stand when the worlds are on fire. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad for the Word of God? Praise the Lord. I believe it is a trick of the devil to get us obsessed with days. I recall years ago in, well, as Brother Tenney would say, somewhere between the Atlantic and the Pacific, the Canadian border and the Mexican border, somewhere, that a certain fellow said, uh, Hear ye, thus saith the Lord, the 4th of July, 12 o'clock noon, Jesus is coming. All the saints sold their houses made their own white robes, got out on the hillside, waited, 4th of July, 12 o'clock, nothing happened. They all had to go back to town, suffer the reproach, and it was the talk of that area for a long, long time thereafter. But the fact that somebody debauched that beautiful truth does not detract from the truth of it. The Word of God still says, He who shall come, will come. He said, I will come again. Yes, sir. He is coming. And it may be today. I don't know. It may be two minutes, two years, ten years. I don't know. I think it's very soon. But I do know and I share your frustration. I don't believe anybody feels it any more than we Jesus name Pentecostal preachers feel the, the pressure 
and we will possibly feel more as we near the coming of the Lord. And there will be a temptation to dig up the body of Moses and to get obsessed with dates and times and places. But let's remember the word of the Lord. He is coming. We don't know when, but we know he is. Thank God. His word tells us that he never hid. He never hid the Ten Commandments. They never buried the tables of stone with Moses. They only buried his body. The truth that he preached lives on. Thank God. And I heard great men like Elder W.T. Witherspoon and Elder F.E. Kurtz and R.F. Tobin and other great Bible teachers years ago. And they're dead and gone. And they preached the soon coming of the Lord. And they taught it. But the fact that they died in hope did not detract from the fact that the Lord is coming from heaven with a shout. Now I want to, I want to just share this with you in closing. This uh, just dropped in my heart one day. I used to say with others that, you know, old Gabriel's getting up there, sitting up there polishing that trumpet, getting ready to blow it. And it sounded good, so I said it. But the fact of the matter is, I don't read that Gabriel has anything to do with it. I don't know how it is with your church, brethren, but I know how it is in Panama City, Florida. If something has to be done without fail, I better do it. I'll guarantee you right now, I've been gone from home a week, and I'll guarantee you there's a light on somewhere in that church. There's water running, there's a door unlocked, there's something that's not done right because I wasn't there to do it. And that brings me to this. Gabriel is not coming. Michael is not coming. Hear this. 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of the archangel with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort you one another with these words. I don't know when, but I know it is going to happen. God bless you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank God. Thank God. Let's stand. Let's stand and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Thank God. Thank God. You like that? The Lord himself. Praise God. We know his name. Praise his name. All right. To redeem time, we are going to combine the question time until after the next speaker. So if you have questions to ask Brother Crabtree, hold on to them. Don't forget them. Also, we will announce that all speakers will be invited to the platform, and each will have his hot seat for the final summation of this conference this afternoon. So don't forget, all speakers, please come to the platform after Brother M.D. Treese comes right, come right to the platform and be ready for the questions. Now turning the service to Brother King to announce the next speaker.